0: If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 3. We had a great week last Sunday, great Easter, so thank you for everybody that was here and participated in that. And and I'm looking forward to all that's ahead, you know, and what God's doing in our midst. And um, I'm excited about that, so I hope you are too. But today we're going to be back in Acts chapter 3. We started there last Sunday looking at the picture of the lame man that was healed. I thought that passage was perfect for Easter Sunday as we saw him rise up and walk in the power of Jesus Christ. It's funny how, you know, I think God just orchestrates that to that's where we needed to be and that's where we happened to be right there in the book of Acts last week. And we're going to cover the same ground this week plus a little bit more, but, but we're going to look at it from a different perspective this morning. Last week we came at the, at the passage from the perspective of the lame man. But this morning, we're going to come at it from the perspective of Peter and John. Those who were being used by God to perform this incredible miracle that that we looked at. So today, we're going to learn some keys to being used by God. That is a very simple title uh, for today's message, How to Be Used by God. And that's what I'm going to attempt to show you this morning. So so this is a how-to message. This is a very practical message uh, a how-to one, and I think it's an important one, and I, I hope it's one that interests you because that should be all of our desire, to simply be used by God to bring himself glory. That is what our life is to be about, and that's what the life of those first apostles was about. So, so Peter and John and the other ten were being witnesses for Jesus just like they had been instructed to be in the first chapter. And as we talked about last week, they were performing the signs and wonders that God had empowered them to do. And those signs and wonders were so that Israel could see that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. The Jesus that they killed. They shouldn't have done that. He he had come to save them. He was the Messiah. And they were performing the miracles that Jesus had performed during his earthly ministry and again it was a sign for the Jews and according to Paul when God used signs they were meant to get a message to the nation of Israel 1 Corinthians 122 says for the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom and God never left them hanging he showed them signs throughout their history so in the old testament particularly in the time of Moses with the parting of the red sea and everything that God did in the wilderness showed them signs and wonders. He did that in the Gospels. He's doing that here in the book of Acts, and it's no coincidence that you usually see heightened periods during dispensational transitions and dispensational shifts in the Bible. And when those things occur, you know, God's making, bringing some clarity, and he's showing particularly the nation of Israel what he's doing, or at least that's what he's trying to do. And he does that. Because he cares about them. Man, he, he loves them. And, he, and here in the book of Acts, he just wanted them to accept them. He wanted them to love him back. But as a nation, they struggled to get that right. You know, of course, there were individuals that have always got it right, but the nation of Israel didn't. And listen, that, that I think is true of the church in today's age. There's individuals that get it right, but the church as a whole, and we're, we're failing On that job to love God back the way he desires. And the healing of this lame man at the beginning of chapter 3 is just another example. Because like I told you last week, this wasn't just any miracle. This wasn't just any sign and wonder. This was a very critical one that really sets in motion this fight against the followers of Jesus and against Israel's national leaders. And we will see today that this event ends Israel's ignorance of exactly what was going on and who Jesus really was. And, and listen, and, you know, at least in my opinion, they had seen enough. They should not have been ignorant before this event. But what we are going to see is that Peter says they were. He says that they were ignorant. And I'll be honest with you, that just blows my mind. It amazes me at how long-suffering and how gracious God really is. And not only towards Israel, but towards us as well. Psalm 86, 15, he says, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. Psalm 145, verse 8, says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. And aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad that God is compassionate and gracious and long-suffering? And maybe some of you in here might say, you know what, I don't don't know that I've really felt that. And the the truth is, we live in a cruel world. And Satan is the god of this world, according to 2 Corinthians 4.4. Therefore, much of what happens in our life because of sin, either our own sin or just the sin that exists in the world, gets blamed on God. And the truth is, God is nowhere near that. Certainly not to blame. The Bible says that God is long-suffering and compassionate and full of mercy. And that is true regardless of yours, mine, or anyone's experience. The Scripture says so. And it says it throughout Scripture. It is true in our passage this morning because I told you when we were in chapter 2 that God is giving Israel a renewed opportunity to accept Jesus as their king nationally. God answered the prayer of his son on the cross, recorded in Luke 23, 43. It says, then then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the renewed opportunity is really starting to take shape here in Acts chapter 3. And listen, practically speaking, for us, there's a very real sense in which every day is a renewed opportunity for you and me. Every day is a renewed opportunity to get saved, to get right with the Lord, to start serving Him with our life, or just stay in the course, whatever it may be. God is long-suffering, so if you are still alive, you still have a chance to be used by God in mighty ways. Isn't that good news? It is, but here's the thing. It does require some effort on our part. And I want to show you that this morning. We're going to learn some key characteristics from Peter and John that enabled them to be used by God. So let's look at it together. We're going to go back to verse 1 of chapter 3. We're going to see the miracle of the healing of the lame man again. And then we're going to read down through verse 18. And and we'll see what the Lord has to teach us this morning. Acts chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, had glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But he denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through the ignorance ye did it. And that what just means no, I know that through ignorance ye did it. As did also your rulers, but those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and and we come in need of hearing from you today. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you speak to us, and Lord, I, I pray that you move me aside, and that your spirit has free reign in this room, that your spirit has free reign in our hearts to hear your message and to respond accordingly. Lord, I pray that everything that is said today is true to your word. I pray that you are honored. I pray that you are glorified. I pray that your word is exalted as it should be. And that this entire service, our worship to you as we sing praises, as we hear and get into your word, and our response to all of that is a sweet savor to you and that you're glorified in and through it. Lord, we love you. We ask all this in Jesus name. Amen. Okay, so we've we looked at most of this story last week, but, but like I've already mentioned, I, I just want to take it from a different perspective this morning. And I want us to see what it was in Peter and John that allowed them to be used by God in the way that they were. And of, and of course, they had the power of the Holy Spirit, right? That had come upon them. We have that same power, by the way. Now again, God uses his power in men differently today than he did at this time in history, in the the time of Acts chapter 3. So I made this statement last week, but I'll I'll make it again in case you weren't here or you missed it. I absolutely believe that God still heals. But the gift of healing, the gift of healing in believers has ceased and is no longer active. Faith healers, as we know them today, are con artists. And they're just after things like your money. God works differently today. The focus is more on the spiritual than the physical. The focus for now is the body of Christ and not Israel. So the sign gifts aren't currently active in believers. Now they will come back in the tribulation when the focus shifts back to Israel. But for now they have ceased. And even though the signs and the wonders are different, that does not mean that God has stopped working No, he is working just as fervently today as he ever has. In fact, he's he's probably working harder than ever before because his body is working less. I mean, I'm not sure that that's how it works, but I think you know what I'm saying. God is absolutely still at work. The question is just whether you and I are going to be a part of it. Do you want to be a part of what God's doing? Do we as a church want to be a part of what God's doing or not? That's the question. Are we going to take the steps, the steps necessary in our life to be used by him? And here's where it starts. This is the first key from Peter and John. And that is you need to be hungry. You need to be hungry. And, and before we get into this, just, just let me say, again, today, super practical. We're not going to address a lot of doctrine. We're going to do that next week. Super practical, we'll, we'll hit a little bit, but super practical today. And there are many principles I could have pulled out of this text for this sermon, but I've condensed them and summarized them into three. Because if we get these three right, we are gonna be in good shape, I assure you. But the first key to being used by God is hungry. And I say that because it was my outlines uses H words, but but more importantly, <laughs> more importantly, it paints a picture that we all need to see, because this point is about our willingness, but our willingness needs to be proactive, right? It's wanting it. It's being hungry for it to be used by God. It's having a desire to be used by God, not just being willing to be used by God, but having that desire in your heart. Paul says that for a bishop or a pastor, desiring or wanting that office is a good thing. First Timothy 3.1, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And obviously that has a specific context related to a specific work, but the principle is true no matter what. I know that not everyone in here is going to be a pastor or a bishop, but every Christian can desire or be hungry to be used by God. And that is a good thing too. And we see that in Peter and John in Acts chapter 3 in a number of ways. And again, this is going to be very simple, but I hope very helpful. This truly is a how-to message. Because listen, it is the little things that make a big difference in the long run. We always want some magic pill to take us wherever we want to go instantaneously. And God just doesn't work that way. And life doesn't work that way. God wants to see certain things in us consistently if we want to truly be used by him. He wants us to be hungry. And the first aspect of being hungry is you have to desire daily time with the Lord. See, this is just simple, but you have to get it. Look back at verse 1 and let's see what Peter and John were doing. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. And we talked about this some last Sunday, but they were going to the temple to pray, right? There were three times, we talked about that, those three times of prayer for the Jews, and this was a daily thing. Acts 2.46, we looked at this also, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. And listen, just at the very bottom line, if we ever want to be used by God, it absolutely starts by simply spending time with the Lord every day day. That is a spiritual discipline that you must develop. And listen, you should do it even if you don't desire it, even if you're not hungry for it. Always do right even if you don't feel it. God will honor that. But ultimately, there does need to come a point in your life where that is your desire, where you long to spend time with God, where you are hungry to hear from him, and you can't wait to speak to him. You see, Peter and John were doing the right thing at the right time. Because they desired to spend time with God. And I know that because they both talked about it throughout their epistles. And in John's case, his gospel and everything they wrote. Peter talked about that desire to learn of God's word. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, he said, As newborn babes desire The sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted, that the Lord is gracious. In John 15, John emphasized the importance of abiding consistently in Christ. And then in his first epistle, he basically spent the entire first chapter discussing the importance of fellowship with Christ and each other. And how that occurs, and it comes by spending time with the Lord and hungering for that time. And listen, this is just the path that God has set up for us to build a relationship with him and to be able to properly navigate the Christian life and the daily aspects of the spiritual war that we face in our Christian life. And I've showed you elements of this before, but, but it's worth repeating. Listen, what the Bible lays out for us is the importance of understanding God's mercies. I'm going to show you this. It's understanding God's mercies and allow, that allows us to see him in our daily life, in the midst of trial, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of tribulation. It's God's mercies that he uses to motivate us to do what we need to do. All right, and we're gonna we're gonna see that there's only one way to really get and experience God's mercies, but but I I listen. I understand that this is difficult at times. I know this even personally, but listen to what Romans 12:1 says. It's a very popular verse. We read it all the time. Many of you have it have it memorized. There's just there's an important phrase in there that that many times we skip over when we when we think about it. Romans 12:1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, what what in our mind. We jump right to that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. But there is a way that we are to do that, and there's a there is something that God has designed to make that possible. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. You see, if if you do not understand God's mercies, then you will never desire even this reasonable level of service. You have to know, you must know who God is and what he means to you. You have to be able to see him in your life, even in the darkness and you won't do it if you don't understand the mercies that he has made available to us. It's by the mercies of God that we're, to be, that we're to present ourselves a living sacrifice. That's why in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, he says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed by the, just the difficulty of this life. We go through so much, and and, and some people go through others. How is it that you just don't allow that to to collapse you within? It's, it's, It's God's mercies. It's his mercies that we're not consumed because his compassions, man, they don't fail. They fail not. And listen, this is the key right here. They, those mercies, are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And what a great verse. The Lord's mercies are new every morning. So they are there. They are available every day without fail because great is his faithfulness. But what that means is you have to seek them out every day. You see, the mercies that you get from God today, they may not apply tomorrow. He's got new mercies tomorrow. They're new every morning because great is his faithfulness. But how are you going to get them tomorrow if you don't spend time with him tomorrow? How do you expect to make it through Tuesday if you don't spend time with him understanding his mercies on Tuesday? You see, here's the problem I have. My problem is seeing people and hearing people sit around and complain about life. And how hard it is, and how hard it is to serve the Lord and be committed to him and committed to his church. All the while, God is screaming, I have mercies you need for that very thing. But you didn't spend time with me to get them. Because how do you get those mercies? Psalm 85 verse 10 tells us, mercy and truth are met together. The first time you ever see the word mercies in the Bible is in Genesis 32. It's connected to truth. Those mercies of God that God has designed to allow us to see him in our daily life, to get through the struggles of life, to use as motivation to lay down our life for him as a living sacrifice. You know where they're available? Right here. Mercy and truth. John 17, 17. Thy word is truth. They're met together. Do you want to get those mercies? You find them here. You don't find them anywhere else. This is just how God's designed it. So So this is a practical message. this is a how-to message. If you're having struggles in your marriage, if you're having struggles in your family, if you have struggles at your job, if you're having struggles wherever in life, and you do not have a daily time with the Lord. Don't call me for counseling. That's your answer. Spend time with God every day. Now, spending time with God every day doesn't solve every problem, right? The devil still fights and we still have to deal with our flesh. But there's one place to start, to start is right here. Develop a spiritual discipline to spend time with the Lord every day. Because if you want mercy, you have to get truth. Mercy comes through truth. They are met together. You receive necessary mercies by hungering for God's word and meditating on him and his faithfulness. And then service to him just becomes a byproduct. You don't have to manufacture it. You don't have to do it in your flesh. It becomes who you are and what you do. I don't know how else to explain it. So you show you are hungry by spending daily time with the Lord. But then second, you also need to stay mission-minded. And and here's what I mean by that. It's where ministry is always on the top of your mind. As you're going through your day, you're sensitive to the doors God might be opening. And if he opens a door, you're ready to walk through it. Because that's exactly what we see with Peter and John. Because listen, they set out to do something, right? They were going to the temple to pray. Something very important. They had a task that they were about. And it would have been very easy for them to just pass the beggar on by. Listen, this lame man had been sat at the gate every day asking alms. And according to Acts 4.22, the man was above 40 years old. And Peter and John, they went to the temple every day to pray. Look at verse two again. And a certain layman from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. So there is no way that this was their first encounter with this man. But I do believe it was the first time God had opened a door to ministry to him. You see, they had just recently re- received the indwelling Holy Spirit. They had just recently been endued with power on high. And when God had the man ready to hear from him, they were ready to speak. And more importantly, and I put this on your outline sheet, they were willing to be interrupted from their daily tasks. They were willing to be interrupted from what they had going on. And just think about that. And listen, this is very convicting to me. But how many of us miss opportunity after opportunity just because we're not mission-minded in the moment? And we're so consumed with ourselves and what we need to get done that we just let opportunities to serve the Lord pass us by. And man, for me, that is a scary thought. But Peter and John passed the test. They were doing the right thing at the right time. And like we talked about last Sunday, they were confident in the power of God in their life. They had faith. They trusted him. So God used them. And he used them to not only heal the lame man but also set the stage for the next step in Israel's ultimate rejection of God I've t- again I've told you this a couple times this event ends israel's ignorance this is this is very important we're going to get there when we get to seventeen we're actually we're actually going to talk about it next week we're not i mean I'll mention it but we're we're going to study this in some detail next week but but let me but let me give you a little preview because I say that that this is It ends their ignorance because of a great prophecy of the kingdom in Isaiah 35. In Isaiah chapter 35, it's a fairly short chapter, but it's a cool chapter. It is a great chapter outlining the millennium. The kingdom reign of Jesus on this earth for a thousand years after the second coming. So, for example, Isaiah 35 verses 1 and 2 says, The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing the glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it the excellency of Carmel and Sharon they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God this is if you know anything about the bible or if you know anything about prophecy you you may understand that this is clearly in the context of millennium things are good they they're able to see the glory of the Lord and they're able to see that because Jesus himself is on the throne and this is, you know, the millennium, it's a, it's a time that the lion and lamb will lay together. It's just a, a perfect environment, and that's what we're seeing in verse 1 and 2. So that gives us the context, millennium context, kingdom context. And look at what is, what is happening. Skip down to verse 6. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing, for the, in the wilderness shall waters break out in the streams of desert. You see, that is the certain man. And once he is healed, he won't just walk, he will leap, which is what we read in Acts chapter 3. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that day would have known very well this prophecy from Isaiah. So God was telling them very clearly, Jesus was the Messiah and you missed him. But here's another chance. The, the gospel of the kingdom was being preached even through this healing. And we'll get to Peter's message next week. We're gonna come back. You know, we're a lot of overlapping, but we'll come back even starting in verse 12 next week and, and look at the details of his message. But God was using Peter and John for such an incredible mission. One they didn't even completely understand. And, and just listen, I think we rarely Understand the depth of what God is doing in our midst, but we will miss it if we're not ready. If we don't stay mission minded, that's what's so amazing. Like we'll talk about this in a little bit, but this wasn't only about this man. This was Jesus. This is God the Father putting front and center the Isaiah thirty-five. And saying, this is the time, if you will just accept him, his kingdom reign can begin. But but as we'll see, they don't do it. And we have to keep moving, but very quickly, let me give you one more aspect of staying hungry. And that's very simply, use what you have. Use what you have. Look at verse 6. The guy asked him for alms, and Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And we talked about this last week as well. Peter and John didn't have any money, but they had power and faith. So they used what they had. And listen, this is very simply. This is just a devotional point. But what I want you to understand here is that we all have spiritual gifts and talents given to us by God. We just need to put to use our gifting for spiritual matters. Don't use all the talents God gave you just to make money and just to build a career. Use them in the service to the Lord as well. I'm not saying don't have a, a job and do well at it. No, God's given you gifts. Put them to use. Just don't put them to use only for your selfish purposes. Put them to use for the Lord as well. We need to put our gifting to use for spiritual matters. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11 says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. So minister it as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, because that's how you've been given these gifts. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. Listen, don't think you're so special on your own. Anything that you bring to the table... It's because God's given you that. So don't get arrogant in that. That God in all things may be glorified. That's why he's given it to you. Not to glorify yourself. That God will be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. And I make this point because if you're hungry to be used by God, you won't be selfish with your gifts and talents. You will use what you have for the Lord because you can't wait to give back to him. You understand that he's given you so much. And how do you understand that? By the mercies of God. And you understand that he gave his life. So if you have something he can use, why would you want to hold that back? And you do have something he can use. We all do. The question is just what's it being used for? Or who's it being used for, him or you? So be hungry to be used by God. Desire that daily time with him. Stay mission-minded. And then give back to him and use your God-given gifts and talents in service to him. Not only for yourself. That's the first key. And then second, so we need to start with being hungry. And then second, be humble. Be humble. And I make this point because after Peter healed this man and and wonder and amazement ensued, look at Peter's response starting in verse 12. And when Peter saw it, when he saw the people's response, how they're in Wonder and awe of what was happening. When Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, there's a context clue, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? Here's what's actually happening The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him to go in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. You see, Peter responded in humility. He didn't take credit for anything that happened. He just pointed everyone back to Jesus. And this is so interesting because I want you to compare verse verse 4 with verse 12. Look at what verse 4 says when, when Peter's talking to the lame man. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. So Peter tells the lame man to look on him and John. But then, then after the miracle healing in verse 12, Peter says to all the onlookers, why look ye so earnestly on us? Why are you looking at us for this? And that's based on who he is talking to in each instance and the reason behind each instance of, of why they're looking. And it, and it gets to, you know, we talked about last week that, that look on us and that Isaiah forty five twenty two reference and the Numbers twenty one with the serpent on the cross and John three, the guy was painting a picture, but now the picture's been painted, and so that he doesn't want them looking at Peter doesn't want them looking at him now. He only wanted the man that he was going to heal to look at him. Peter was not at all interested in people looking at them, thinking there was something special in them by our own power or our own holiness. We did this. No way. No, he said, what just happened, and this is great, you need to get this. What just happened was God glorifying his son Jesus. So it wasn't even about the lame man as much as it was about Jesus. God has something way bigger in mind. And again, it gets to verse 17 about that ignorance. We're going to talk about that. But he has something way bigger in mind. He wanted to glorify his son in front of the, the nation of Israel right there. And again, just going back to my last point, I think so many times God wants to do something so much bigger in our midst, but we live in this confined world of, of just ourselves and just seeing ourselves. And no, God, And, and when, then when we, when we do that and we miss opportunities, it's not just an opportunity for that person. It's an opportunity for God to glorify his son on a way bigger level. Man, it, 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 we just, we, we got to get these simple things down. Listen, it's always about Jesus. It's always about God's glory. But it's so easy to begin thinking that things are about us or because of us. But if you think that way, you will limit your usefulness to God. Because that is satanic. When Lucifer rebelled against God, he made those five I will statements that we read about in Isaiah chapter 14. And he made it about himself. Paul used that same type of description for the Antichrist in in 2 Thessalonians 2.4. Speaking of the Antichrist, Paul said, Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. So that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And listen, this is something that God hates. And he ultimately won't stand for. Now he's long-suffering. So sometimes he doesn't deal with it immediately. And and, and listen, that is good for all of us. Because we all struggle with this. But ultimately, God will not allow it forever. It will be dealt with eventually. Because Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And the risk is everywhere. And we are all prone to it. And we all face it all the time. And it's deadly. This is the attack of the enemy. Proverbs 18.12, before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty. And before honor is humility. And so this is another one that we must get right. And I'm telling you, the biggest danger we face in this life is pride period. The biggest danger we face in this life is pride. It's not Russia. It's not inflation. It's certainly not the next pandemic. None of those things even cause a blip on God's danger radar. But what does is pride. And that is what we all need to be on the lookout for. That is what we need to prepare for. You know, who cares if you have enough hand sanitizer and toilet paper? But you better be prepared when pride hits. Because if you're not, listen, you will be deceived. You'll de- be deceived within your heart. You'll begin believing your own news clippings. Obadiah, a, a, you know, a, a, one of the minor prophets, listen to what he says. There's only one chapter in his book. But verse 3 says, the pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? And there's deception there. And if, you don't, if you're not prepared for it and you don't deal with it properly, then, then you're going to be deceived. And the problem with that verse is if you live in pride long enough to the point of deception, at some point, you're going to get the answer to that question. Who shall bring me down to the ground? And you might not think that anyone can do that, but God can. And you'll learn it's not true. So listen to me. This isn't popular theology today, and you probably won't hear it in many other churches, but, but this is the next, on our, next point on our outline sheet. We need to learn, learn to grow downward. We need to learn to grow downward. The healthy heart is one that bows down in humility and only rises in praise and adoration to Almighty God alone. There's a story, Hudson Taylor, missionary to China, founder of the China China Inland Mission, along with William Carey, one of the founders of Modern Mission. He was scheduled to speak in a large church in Melbourne, Australia one time, and the moderator, the guy introducing him, um, he introduced him in eloquent, glowing terms. He told the large congregation about the work Taylor had done in China, and then he presented himself as our illustrious guest and Hudson Taylor made his way to the pulpit, kind of stood quietly for a moment. And then he opened his message by saying, Dear friends, I'm the little servant of an illustrious master. Listen, that's why God used Hudson Taylor and used Peter and John and, and many others heroes of faith along the way, because they understood humility and they understood John the Baptist's line He must increase, but I must decrease. Do you? Do I? We need to. If we want God to use us anyway, and I hope that's why you're here. James 4, 6 says, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. First Peter five verses five and six, "Likewise ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. You see, our exaltation is coming later if we will just humble ourselves now. But you can't have it both ways. Get it now or later. I vote for later. So that means our focus needs to be eternal instead of temporal. 2 Timothy 2.12, in the context of the millennium, says if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. It doesn't have anything to do with our salvation. That is our place in the millennium. And I don't have time to run all the reference for you, but our exaltation in 1 Peter 5.6 is related to our reigning in, 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 in 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy 2.12. And our pride is related to denying him. That was true of Lucifer. That was true of Peter when he denied him three times before he went to the cross. Proverbs 30 verse 9 is a good cross reference for you if you're interested in that sort of thing. The biggest danger we face in this life is pride. And that's because it has eternal consequences even for the believer. And it limits our ability to be used by him now which also has eternal consequences. It's all tied together. So we need to be humble. And then last, our third key to being used by God is to be honest. Because after Peter tells them to not be in wonder and all of the miracle, because it was was the same thing that they had been watching Jesus do for the last three and a half years anyway. So they shouldn't be surprised. He then went on to start preaching to them again and he told them the truth. And he was honest with them. Look at verse 14. Peter said, But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. You you said release Barabbas. And you killed the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. you You know him, he's laid there every day. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. He's completely healed. And now, brethren, I want that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before has showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. And, and like I've already told you, we're going to come back to this next week. We're not going to study the details of the message today. We'll come back to this next time. And we'll hit the specifics of the message. But for for today, I just want you to see the practical application. That Peter told them the truth. And being used by God includes being willing to do just that. Be honest. And tell people the truth even if it's not popular. And Peter's message of telling the truth included two very important aspects that can be guiding posts for us when we're having honest conversations with folks. Because first, Peter outlined their guilt. He outlined their guilt. He said, you denied the Holy One. You killed the Prince of Life. And in replace, you saved a murderer. This is the only place in the Bible he's given that title, Prince of Life. This is interesting because Peter points out very clearly and cleverly that they justified a life taker and they killed a life giver. They justified a life taker, Barabbas, a murderer. And they killed a life giver. He's the prince of life. And in their actions, they fulfilled Proverbs 29, 27 that says, An unjust man is an abomination to the just. And he that is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. So Peter was just honestly outlining their guilt. And we can learn from this. Now, it should never be done out of spite or anger. It should always be done out of love. But the truth is the truth. And sometimes it can come across or feel harsh to people. But Paul describes it as speaking truth and love in Ephesians 4.15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. It's, it's part of us growing up in the body. In Colossians, he says it's grace seasoned with salt. Let your speech be always with grace seasoned with salt, that ye may know how you ought to answer every man. Paul was always honest with his followers, and he didn't shy away from hard conversations, particularly with the Corinthians. We see that very clearly. He spoke some very harsh but true things, but it always came from a position of love. In 2 Corinthians 7, uh, verse 9, Paul said that even though he was hard on them, it was worth it because some of them repented. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance, for you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us and nothing. And he's talking about that first letter that he wrote to them and how, how harsh it was and how confrontational it was and how he revealed their sin of rebellion against him and against the truth. But, but he rejoices because some of them repented. And they responded to his harshness, but, but his goal was not to humiliate them. His goal was that, to bring them to repentance He wasn't trying to control them by fear or any personal fulfillment for his own purposes. He wanted to bring them to blessing and truth. So he did it all in love. He did it to edify. Paul loved his people. So being honest starts by talking about their guilt. But the model we see from Peter doesn't stay at guilt. It concludes with God's grace. And this gets to the ending of Israel's ignorance. We'll dive into this deeper next time. But look at verses 17 and 18. And now, brethren, I I want or know that through ignorance you did it, as did also, just talking about how they killed the prince of life, you did it through ignorance, as did also your rulers, but those things which God before has showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. And this is grace, because Peter is claiming that they had killed Jesus through ignorance. And again, think about that. Isn't that amazing? After all they had seen Jesus do and all they had heard Jesus teach, he was still letting them off the hook. It's what Jesus asked his Father on the cross. We read it earlier. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They were ignorant. And like I said, next time we're going to get into this, and I'm going to show you why this aspect of ignorance is important. And it, it ties to Leviticus chapter 4, if you, if you happen to want to study ahead. But let me just say, in the use of the word ignorance, God is reducing the charge. He's basically taking it from murder to involuntary manslaughter. And with that, he's giving them another chance. You see, there was no chance for murder under the law. That's just punishable by death. There's no second chance for murder. But the use of the word ignorance is an important one in the nation of Israel. Because he is giving him another chance. Talk about grace. And he showed it to Israel, and he shows it to you and me all the time. It just goes back to where we started. He's long-suffering, and it's amazing. But listen, when it comes to being used by God to speak the truth, we shouldn't stop with man's guilt. We must get to God's grace. You see, there is good news after the bad news. God has made a way. And listen, if, if you ever have a conversation with somebody and, and they ask you, man, there's, you know, there's all these religions in the world. There's all these denominations in the world. What makes yours any different? What makes yours any special? How, what, what's different from what you believe than what Catholics believe or, or Muslims believe or Hindus believe? What's the difference in any of this? Well, that's your answer. Nowhere else do you find a God in pursuit of people. In every other religion in the world, you have to make your way to God. But in biblical Christianity, God made his way to you. And that's grace. Share that message until you cannot speak anymore. And these are the keys that we see in this passage to being used by God. I think there's a lesson in there from Peter and John to all of us. Be hungry. Desire to spend time with God. Don't miss it. Make it a habit and fall in love with it. Get in his word. Go to him in prayer. Build that relationship. Without it, you cannot be used by him. And then be humble, especially as you you are being used by him. If you see God working in and through you, point people to the source. Don't think too highly of yourself like there's something special in you. Be humble so that you can be used by him in this life and be exalted in the life to come and reign with him in the life to come. And then be honest. And listen, if you study out the word liar, you will find it in some really bad lists. And Proverbs 16, 6 says, These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, things that the Lord hates. And listen to the first two items on the list of things that the Lord hates. A proud look, a lying tongue. This is why you cannot be used by God if you are not humble and if you're not honest. Take note and live your life His way so that you can be used by Him to His glory. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. And as you're settling your heart and your mind, I just want you to take time to consider You know, if God showed you anything in his word this morning. And if he showed you something in his word, man, the the way that you are to worship him is to respond to it. It's not to just come and sit and listen and say, oh, yeah, that was was pretty good. That was okay. No, it's to take what God is showing you and make any necessary changes that you need to make or, or be committed to staying on the course that you're on. So if there's anything in your life that you need to get right with the Lord, I want you to do it today. If you're making wrong decisions, change that and make a right decision today. You still have a chance. God's given you a renewed opportunity today to get saved. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and there's never been a time that that you've placed your faith in Him. if, If you were to die today, if you don't know where you would go, man, you can know that. And God's given you an opportunity today to understand that. And, it, and I tell you this every week, but if you, if, if you need help understanding that, come forward. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to take the Bible and show you what it means to be saved today. But if you are saved and you're a Christian and, and you just need to get things settled with the Lord, get it settled. This is your time. We're going to sing that final song. We're going to take up our, our offering, you know, during that time like we always do. But... But make sure you do any business with the Lord that you need to do. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again uh, for your word. And thank you from these lessons we see. Thank you from the model that we see in Peter and John um, in this story. And, and, and thank you for your long suffering in, in all of our lives. And, and Lord, we all struggle with things like pride and, and honesty and just being hungry for, for spiritual things over fleshly things. These are things that we all struggle with. But, but yet, Lord, your word is your word. And, and so help us. Help us in our unbelief. Help us to, to dive deeper into what you have for us and into an eternal focus over a temporal focus. And then, Lord, be glorified in our life. We love you. Uh, we, we thank you for all that you are. We thank you for your mercies that are available to us every day. And we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.